Hello and welcome to the Bikes for Death podcast. My name is Patrick and I'm your host. And I'd like to start off by thanking this week's newest patrons. We got Eric W. and Brad D. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you for supporting the show. And if you'd like to support the show, you can head over to bikesordeath.com and check it out. There's lots of ways, whether you sign up as a Patreon, you give a one-time donation through PayPal, you could order some merch, some cool shirts or something. And honestly, one of the easiest things you can do to support the show is just leave a five-star review on iTunes. That's one of the best ways that you can support the show. It helps other people find out about it and gets them addicted to this beautiful, beautiful thing we love to do called exploring the world on a bicycle. And I would like to give a special shout out to Bo Kruger. I recently found out that she may be the youngest listener and fan of the show when her dad sent me a picture of her wearing one of my Bikes for Death shirts. So, Bo, I wanted to thank you for being a fan of the show. I hear you are tearing up some single track on your bike with your dad, and that is so, so very rad. So keep it up, and don't forget to thank your dad for being an awesome dad and taking you out there and riding bikes. There's a lot of dads that don't do that, and uh, you're pretty lucky to have a dad that, that wants to go out there and have fun and ride bikes with you. And, Bo, I hope you will be specifically inspired by today's guest, who is Andrew and Katie Strimpke. They were the first people to ever complete a yo-yo on the Colorado Trail Race. Now, a yo-yo means that they rode the entire length of the Colorado Trail and then turned around and rode it back where they came. They were the first people to do that, and they did it on single speed. It's truly an incredible story. They didn't even intended to do a yo-yo they were just going to go ride it and then they decided a week before to yo-yo it why not why not just knock out the whole thing in one go i guess it makes it easier for getting back to your car right maybe it's just a logistical thing all right everybody thank you all for being here so much i'm glad you're here i'm glad i'm here and that's all i got so let's get on with the show you load up your bike you ride away from home you could be with your friends or you could be alone for a day or maybe more you just love being in the great outdoors everything you need is strapped to your boss including that new pillow you got from santa claus and then you think oh shit to yourself you let that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf bikes All right, everyone. Today I have joining me on the interwebs uh, my semi-friends. I can almost call you friends. We met once at a wedding. Uh, we got Katie and Andrew Stempke, who are the new, um, what are y'all like, the power couple of bikepacking now? <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, well, just to get this out there real quick, y- y'all are fresh off of a yo-yo on the Colorado Trail. And you were both on single speeds. So if that doesn't give you the title of bikepacking power couple, I don't know what does. It's pretty sweet. How are y'all feeling right now? Are y'all like stoked and shocked? Uh, How are the bodies feeling? Feeling pretty good. Body's not too bad. Like some tingly hands and sore ankles. But aside from that, we're recovering pretty well. Are y'all 
like on a super high from finishing it. And I mean, it's like a weird thing to be a yo-yo finisher on the Colorado trail, right? Like there's no big fanfare when you get done. There's not a big party. There's no one to hand you a check or anything like that. But are y'all like pretty stoked? Kind of coming down from that. I feel like. Yeah, I finished about a week ago. First few days, it was like partially being super lazy and laying on the couch, but also like, whoa, this happened and interacting with people and trying to process it all. Katie wrote up a blog post that was really good and that kind of helped, you know, put things down on paper that were floating around in our heads. Bikepacking.com just put your story out there like yesterday, I think, or the day before. And I saw on Instagram that Neil Belchinko got y'all on a video chat, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. Any other interviews or anything lined up? No, this is it. Okay. We'll call it the triple crown of media. (laughs) Well, before we get like too, too far into the weeds, um, Help me remember. So we met at Gabby and Thomas's wedding in Oklahoma last year, and I got lucky enough to just happen to sit down next to y'all, I think. And Katie was telling me about, were you telling me that he just finished the CT on a single speed? Yeah. Last year, Andrew finished the Colorado Trail in like five days, 22 hours. I remember being blown away. And if I remember correctly, wasn't I talking about trying to get you on the podcast and you were like, no, not interested. (laughs) I I don't remember exactly, but I was going to have you help me remember if if we talked about that or not. I don't know. We still don't really feel cool enough to be on a podcast. Yeah, this first podcast. (laughs) I don't feel cool enough to have a podcast. I mean, I've never freaking ridden the Colorado Trail or yo-yoed it and I barely ride single speed so like who am I qualified to be talking about anything you got the microphones yeah I got the microphones well anyway thank y'all for coming on it's kind of cool I know that um I just remember like Katie you I felt like and I have a bad memory so maybe I misremember this totally but I felt like Katie was just like really stoked on Andrew I don't think I realized that you were also kind of a a badass as well. I just remember that you were really kind of highlighting Andrew's accomplishments. Yeah, Andrew's a fast dude. Yeah, and the Colorado Trail last year, like I tried it and I didn't finish. So I wasn't like super excited about it. (laughs) A little bitter. Yeah, you weren't patting yourself on the back. Well, you said in that article that you wrote that I'm going to paraphrase, but basically I don't quit. I don't quit things. Yeah. So that really stuck in your craw, as they say here in Texas. Yeah. So a little bit about y'all. I'm always curious about what people do for a living and be able to do this. So can you talk just a little bit about maybe what y'all do for a living and where you live and how you're able to go and do, you know, 16 days on the Colorado Trail? We recently both quit our jobs and are traveling in our van right now. So we were located in Kansas City. Uh, I was working as an occupational therapist for a school district. Yeah, I was a mechanical engineer at Garmin. So working on cycling hardware, which was really cool, but we were ready to be in the mountains. And so that meant different jobs. So in the process of figuring out where we want to be in the mountains, this wasn't the plan from the start, but kind of morphed into the plan of let's live in the van for a year or so and travel and find the next home base. So Colorado Trail was kind of the first stop. We knew we wanted to go back and do Colorado Trail again. And Colorado is basically, you know, not too far from Kansas City. So we were spent some time in the mountains and then we were going to tour the Colorado Trail together. So when did y'all quit your jobs and move into your van? Beginning of July, a month ago. We closed on our house, drove to Colorado like that day and spent two, I guess it was close to three weeks 
and then started the yo-yo. We've lived in the room for as long as we've done a yo-yo. So we're total rookies, yeah. still figuring stuff out. <laughs> well, fuck, that's so exciting, man. I mean, y'all are living the dream. Quit your jobs, just living in the van, riding your bikes. What's the plan? I'm super curious. I mean, that's like the coolest thing ever, right? Had some money saved up to take a year off, travel pretty cheap in the van, just finding national forest to stay in when we can and uh stoked to be in the mountains so is the plan to get back to a job eventually or y'all retired forever (laughs) yeah fortunately work will come probably within a a year or so it'll be ready to get some income again but i wonder if y'all can produce some content and stuff from your van you know y'all should do like a youtube channel or something that's what all the cool kids are doing we've started working on editing some video footage from ct and uh it'll be a long road to have that be an income source i'm I'm pretty green at that as well just stumbling through all these clips and trying to edit things video editing is a pain in the butt yeah it takes some skill and there's definitely an art form that does not come naturally to me so that's definitely more work than it appears to be i think youtube channel thing but i agree and that's why i don't do video podcasts i used to do video production in another company that i had and it's so much work you know you spend a month or something on a 10 or 15 minute video and you're just like wow that was a lot of work (laughs) so i feel you maybe you could start a podcast Ooh, that would be good inside the life of the power couple (laughs) (laughs) i don't know yeah, all right. I guess intimidate me. Dude, they intimidated the shit out of me whenever I first got started. I didn't expect anyone to listen for real, you know? Like I just thought I was going to start like an obscure bikepacking podcast and like no one would, you know, know about it or really listen. There would be like a few nerds that would follow along, but turns out there's a lot of us out there. Turns out there's a lot of bikepacking nerds out there. Oh, yeah. And there's a whole world, too. I think I was just thinking, like, in terms of Texas, but there's people that, you know, doing this all over the world that are wanting to hear stories like y'all's. So I'll stop talking about me. I mean, I got to admit, like, I'm super jealous. That's really awesome. How is it? I mean, okay, you've only been doing it 30 days, but are y'all liking it? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, man. It's life, a dream. Life legit. And just like not having a plan and being super flexible. Like we weren't even planning on doing a yo-yo until like a week before we left. We were just planning on touring it one way. The opportunity came up and we were like, well, we got nothing else on the schedule. So we might as well saddle up. That's so cool. It's really cool that y'all are a couple and are on a similar level. I mean, both riding single speeds, doing the same kind of thing. Both want to quit your jobs. I mean, that's pretty awesome to have that much commonality. How long have y'all been together? I'm curious. Uh, we've been together for 10 years. We met in high school. Yeah, we've been really lucky that we've like changed in the same ways yeah, over we, the years. We did not ride bikes when we met. That was something we found together and have grown as cyclists together, I guess. Did y'all do other kind of sports or anything? Or what was your introduction into bikepacking? Who saw it first and all that? When we started riding bikes, um, my dad kind of introduced us into that. He's been riding bikes for a long time. So when we like had an interest in that, he really helped support us getting started and everything. So we, as rookie cyclists, had some friends that were talking about going coast to coast on road bikes. It was like, oh, that's a thing you can do? Oh, yeah, we should try that. <laughs> And just like knew nothing and went on, uh, what's it called? Crazyguyinabike.org or 
whatever that like 90 website is in forums and ended up with i had a bob trailer katie had a rack and paneers and took way too much stuff and made it went coast to coast blows my mind like <laughs> driving on some of those roads now and i'm just like i would never ride on that but you're on the route and it's like oh this is the bike route across the country this is safe and i don't know like, people do it and i know a bunch of people that are rookie cyclists that uh have done coast to coast trips and it's like i think that's kind of what it takes is somebody that you like you can't know too much otherwise you won't do it you know yeah yeah i won't ever do it i know too much to have any interest in it now doing what y'all did a little bit more interesting so yeah we got done with that cross-country tour and saw like ride the divide and we we're just like oh there's this whole other world of gravel and this off-road touring and like that looks so cool it took us six years between that cross-country trip and until 2018 and then we toured the divide route together and that was like amazing yeah changed us yeah i can imagine that's also cool about ride the divide i don't know if y'all saw they just had the 10-year anniversary it was like an online event and they had me host the question and answer thing I mean, it's just a huge honor because like y'all, that's how I found out about bikepacking, you know, like I watched that film so many times. Yeah. Like, hey, you want to come interview me or all of us, everybody? I'm like, yeah, that would be great. I'll do that. So anyway, that was a really neat opportunity. So I wanted to ask, how does the Colorado Trail compare to the Tour Divide in terms of difficulty? Oh, man, so much harder. Totally different. Like, it's not the same type of thing at all. <laughs> yeah. The divide route is mostly washboarded gravel roads. But, I mean, you can do it on a gravel bike, right? It's going to be more comfortable on a mountain bike. But the Colorado Trail is, like, full-on technical mountain biking. And then you've got some gravel detours around wilderness areas. So you've got some easy miles, but a lot of it is real mountain biking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, full-on. When did uh, single speed come into y'all's lives? Did y'all single speed the Tour Divide or when I want to get a reference point to that? So we didn't do actual Tour Divide. We were just touring the Great Divide route because we were sharing gear and riding together. And we did that with gears. I've been riding single speed on gravel for five years, I guess. And that's just been my go-to with gravel racing. Is It suited my riding style. And uh, I don't know. I like it. So what about you, Katie? When did you decide to hop on the single speed train? Yeah, kind of like after that, the divide, I was kind of looking for something different to do and just trained on the single speed during the winter. I felt like it made me a stronger rider. And when I started riding single speed, like all the time, my quads like grew by like 30%, you know? <laughs> so yeah, in 2018, I haven't always raced single speed, but training on single speed since then. Yeah, I always felt like, well, not always. I recently within the past like year and a half got my first single speed bike actually it was after i met y'all so it was like within the last year or whatever i got my first single speed and that really made sense as like a training tool especially in texas where there aren't mountains that i can go climb like you just put a you know you got one gear and you got to stand up and pedal you know and it makes a lot of sense that you would use that as training and then go to a geared bike for a race you know like wow look at all this i got options <laughs> it, it makes you such a better rider too i know i've heard other single speeders say that but when you get one and you actually have to learn how to be more efficient and use everything to your advantage you don't have a you know a get out of jail free card you know you really have to learn how to ride your bike and get better so yeah i get it now i think i get it now yeah at first i just thought y'all were crazy 
not y'all, but just like single oh, yeah. speeding in general. I'm like, hey, don't y'all know that there's gears? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can I can talk to someone all day about uh why they should go single speed instead of geared. At, you know, especially when you get to long distance stuff. There's a lot to like. I think efficiency, low maintenance, weight, and then you know you potentially have the the harder work. You know, you're mashing up hills and stuff. But on the Colorado Trail, a lot of stuff's so steep that you're walking. I mean, you'd be walking on a geared bike anyway. Mm-hmm. So you maybe get off and walk a little bit earlier, but it's kind of a forced recovery thing where, okay, I'm having to walk this hill, so I'm now I'm moving my body differently, or I'm on this flat or downhill stretch and I'm spun out, so I guess I just sit here and coast. And so it kind of keeps you in check where if you had a bunch of gears, you can be hammering the whole time. You have your butt in the saddle the whole time. That can be game over if for a week if you're overusing some of those muscles or you can saddle sores or whatever so single speed's not all uh gnashing and there's some smarts to it i think yeah you're 100 percent right and i've heard that articulated twice the first time was um bailey newbury who finished you probably know single speed oh, yeah. tour divide second yeah. place 2018 so he was just on the podcast a few episodes ago and of course we're talking about the single speed aspect of it and how he was able to almost win i mean at some point he had passed um lewis 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 the door yeah i just interviewed lewis yeah brain fart um yeah so he came in uh second place to lewis the door and had passed him at, at one point and really like was in a position to potentially win tour divide on a single speed but he said it the same way you did was that you know you're going to be walking a lot anyway forces you to have recovery and gives your body different positions to be in. And whenever he broke it down and the way you did, I'm like, okay, well that actually kind of makes sense. I still don't know if I want to try it yet. I, I got my toe dipped in. I might get my feet in next, you know, single speed on the divide is gnarly. And I, I want to try it single speed on the Colorado trail. I think it makes a lot of sense, you know, relative to like something like the divide, just cause there's so much hiking and there's so much gnarly trail that you're like, dragging your bike through you don't have to worry about a derailleur and i can go on and on it makes a lot of sense because i've never done the colorado trail but it's 540 miles i think and seventy thousand feet of elevation gain so i mean it's a lot of up and down there's going to be a lot of hike of bikes and tech descents that you might want to walk anyway and i was curious about his comments on the tour divide because being mostly gravel roads and a little bit more wide open but he's committed, you know, and he's a yeah. mo- monster. Like he said that he thinks that the record, the overall record could be beat on a single speed. He's pretty confident. <laughs> yeah, he is an animal. He is an animal, a good animal. Yeah, he's a cool dude. One more question about y'all. Do y'all recreate well together? You're obviously doing it a lot. Now you're living in a van. Do y'all recreate well together? Specifically bike pack, these, these hard endurance events. I mean... Because it's stressful. You're tired. You're emotional. Yeah. I mean, we do we do a lot of riding together. Most of our racing is individual. And so CT started out that way, or this CT yo-yo did. And last year at CT, we were, you know, individual. When we're not racing, usually riding together, we're pretty similar pace. So that works out. No fighting too much? No, we're both pretty, like, non-confrontational. So <laughs> it works out. Because of what you're doing is so physically hard, mentally exhausting and all that, it puts you on the edge. And 
I've been on plenty of bikepacking trips with partners, and I know that sometimes it can be good and sometimes it can be bad. And I don't know if there's like a formula. I think you just have to like get in that situation and kind of find out how you recreate together and how you handle those tough times, both personally and then, you know, how you react to each other. I think we've had a lot of experience riding together and touring together. And I mean, we did that cross country tour. It was 44 days. We were both 19. Yeah. I can't pick out a instance where we were fighting. And so we've had a lot of long rides, tours, whatever, to kind of learn how each other functions. Like, okay, don't take this the wrong way, but you need a snack. Uh, <laughs> I, I think kind of learning how we work. Yeah. And you don't have to like ride side by side the whole time. You know, if one of you is feeling better than the other, like I'll see you at the top. I think that's smart. And that's what I've done a lot as well. It's just, I mean, we both have the route. We know where we're going. Bikepacking, I think a lot of bike packers are kind of more quiet and are, are good with being alone and riding solo and all that kind of stuff or else you wouldn't be doing it. So that's good advice. You don't always have to ride together, especially if someone's grumpy or whatever. But I also like what you said. I mean, really being able to like be there for each other and be like, hey, you need a snack. And then not a rude thing, but just like, you know, you're going to feel better. <laughs> we usually hit, you know, our highs and lows at different times. So somebody's in a low spot and you can be like, Hey, look at where we are. Like, this is such a cool place. It's a beautiful day. Everything's good. What's wrong? Cause you should be stoked right now. <laughs> uh, so then it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. Let's stop. I'm going to eat. Everything's good. Most of the time that's the solution We're big eaters, just like constant stream of snacks. That's how we keep going. What do y'all like to eat on uh, bikepacking trips? Not on a race, not on a race. Let's say like a, you know, you're going on a, I don't know, bike tour. What do you like to eat? For snacks. 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 Hmm. Anything. I'm like, I don't care. We're just hungry. <laughs> yeah, whatever it sounds takes, good. Yeah, it takes a variety, right? A pretty big range of sweet, salty, yeah. real pa- food, pastries. Paydays. Oh, I love payday. And Fritos. And I'm big on like blueberry muffins. Those are rocket fuel for me. So if I have a morning that starts out with a blueberry muffin, it's going to be a good day. Yeah. Nice. What you said about having options is smart. And that's whenever I pack, it's just like, I like a lot of variety because you never know what you're going to be feeling like and you have different, you know, moods that you get in. And so, yeah, that's smart. Lots of variety. Yeah. Yeah. Tortillas are super easy to pack and cheese or peanut butter. You feel like you're getting some real food if you like stop and make yourself a tortilla with something in it. Oh, heck yeah. Tortilla and peanut butter, man. That's my rocket fuel or payday. That's another good one. Anything with peanut butter in it or peanut nuts. I love nuts. Yeah. Let's get into some Colorado trail racing talk. 2019, was that both of your first attempts at the Colorado trail race? And were you both single speed or what were we doing that year? I was single speed and Katie was geared. And that was, yeah, it was our first time on the whole trail. We'd done a quick two or three day thing on like segments one through five, which the first few segments from Denver are very tame compared to what's to come. So we did a, you know, three day thing where we were ride the first few segments and we were like, oh yeah, this is going to be great. Got this single track. And we'd heard that it was gnarly, but I think we got a little bit of a false sense of confidence from that. It's definitely valuable. Like we got to test our setups. We did it a few weeks before we started the race, but yeah, it definitely gets more gnarly as you go West. So (laughs) pro tip. (laughs) When we started in Durango, the race started in Durango last year. This um, on odd years, they go Durango, Denver, and you start out right away. Like this huge hike, a bike up 
Kennebec Pass. Yeah, it was eye-opening. It was like, oh man, I'm going to hike for hours and I'm getting passed by people and I'm hiking super slow. And so yeah, it was an eye-opening experience first time on the trail, for sure. For you, is it type two fun? I mean, there's a little bit of both for sure. Like the hiking can be really tough, but you have to learn to enjoy it, right? Because you do it for so long. But then like you get to the top and there's like this perfect ribbon of single track through a meadow and you forget all of the, you know, hard work that you just did. And it just feels amazing, you know? And then you may go just have this like perfect 30 minute descent through the mountains. And it's like this remote area that you can only get to if you hike there, right? Okay, this is super fun. That's beautiful. You almost made me cry. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just picturing that, picturing the grueling long, you know, hike a bike to the top. As y'all were talking, I was thinking about Katie's growth over comfort. Yeah. I mean, that's so true on so many levels. But I was thinking of that analogy of pushing or climb, getting to the top of the mountain and then having the most glorious descent. And yeah, it just wipes everything out. And you realize the value of all that hard work. And like you said, there's only one way to get here. You know, I guess you can ride your bike or walk, but who wants to walk? You don't have to. (laughs) Yeah. On the Colorado Trail, you quickly learn that walking is the way you get through parts of the trail, right? You can't expect to go ride the whole thing and be every time you get off your bike, oh, I thought I was going to ride this. No, you're just like, okay, this is the section I walk because you walk for a lot. I've heard people estimate, you know, 100 miles out of the 500 is walking. I mean, it's it's somewhere in that ballpark, 80, I don't know, but you're going to spend a good, you know, a third or half of your time on your feet. Did y'all know that going into 2019 or is this what you learned from 2019? We had like read that and I knew it in my head, but like you don't know what that feels like until you get out there and you're like, okay, this is what walking for hours feels like pushing my bike, you know? Yeah, you can know it in your head without really understanding what that feels like to your body. (laughs) And we're training for that in Kansas City. So we've got endless 100 foot hills, but seeking stuff out that's 200 feet or more is like, you really got to look for it. So you can't train for the the hiking, you know, 12,000 feet where you're just like a slow walking pace has got you heart rate up. <laughs> well, that's the same problem I have in Texas. The nearest mountain range is nine hours away, you know, yeah. and I'm at sea level. What's the elevation in Kansas City? It can't be very high. A thousand maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's terrible training ground for the uh, Colorado Trail, I would think. (laughs) How did 2019 go for each of y'all, whoever wants to go first? Uh, I I can go first. You did it in under six days. How did it go, and what did you learn from it that you took with you into 2020? Yeah, so race started in Durango, had this big, long hike bike at the beginning, and I knew from you know the first morning i was hiking and people were passing me all these people that you know at the bottom there'd been some rideable sections and so i was riding probably riding too hard but riding with people and then as soon as we started the real climb people were passing me left and right and so like that second day i was just like man okay i'm hiking way too slow and i need to figure this out because i was just still wrapping my head around the okay now i'm going to walk for a long time and just accept going so i started to figure that out and i started to that second day ran into alexandra houchin and so um we started leapfrogging and she hiked so fast like unbelievable 
he would hike away from me. And so I just started to try and keep up with Alex. And it was like just a game. You know, she was trying to drop me and I was trying to learn how to hike. (laughs) And just so everybody else, just in case you don't know Alexandra, uh, she was on a single speed as well. Oh, yeah. Yep. So just for anyone who didn't know that. Yeah. Yep. So we're, yeah, similar pace, same gearing, pretty evenly matched aside from the hiking. And so I had to learn that real quick. Did you pick up any tips from her watching her hike away from know, you? I don't know if she <laughs> give me tips at that point. I think she was trying to lose me. So, <laughs> Oh, no, not give you tips, but I just like from watching her. Oh, from watching. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't have my, my boots. I totally forgot my boots and my flat pedals. So I, I understood, you know, what uh, her strategy was there. I was like, okay, this makes a lot of sense now. We're totally hiking. <laughs> she, you know, she's hiking in these boots and I'm in a, cross-country carbon sole race shoes and so i just tore them up <laughs> they survived but uh they were trash afterwards how about your feet how'd they survive uh, my feet were okay okay cool yeah i think the shoes kind of disintegrated around them and so i didn't have rub points because the shoes just you know fell apart took uh, everything yeah so my feet were fine and i had really good weather i put my rain pants on once last year mm. so i had really good weather you know, no issues with like wet socks and stuff like that. That'll get you. So, but yeah, I ended up leapfrogging with Alexandra most of the way, which is really fun. And some other racers and then made a big push at the very end to get in under six days. Just, I didn't realize how long it was going to take. I was like, okay, I got hundred and something miles to go. I should be able to do this today. Cause there's this big long detour and I hit single track with, I don't know, it was around dusk and I hit, you know, segment three going into Denver and it's like, okay, just three segments left. It's like 30 miles or whatever, a few hours and I'll be done. And then it was like eight hours later (laughs) in the dark, in the middle of the night, finally got it done. But yeah, I was just stoked. It was like this whole different world of bikepacking on single track, which is really cool. And the point to point aspect of traveling on a trail, like you know, I do a bunch of gravel road riding and stuff and it makes sense. You're out on these roads that have been established and you can travel places and, but traveling via trail uh, is a really cool feeling covered all this distance on this just remote hiking trail. It's a cool feeling and just being out there and being self-sufficient. So I got done and I was just like, Oh yeah, let's, let's do that again. There's something very cool that you can't, replicate that anywhere else right i mean i guess i'm just wrapping my head around how really neat that is as we talk about the you know great divide route a lot you know you can get on a car and drive down you know a lot of those roads but really to go you know from one major hub to another major hub just on a bike pretty incredible you just go through some really remote areas that you know pretty much unaccessible except for the trail and it's yeah it's a pretty special trail it's views everywhere you look you're selling me man i always felt like i don't know the colorado trail like always seemed like seems like super daunting you know you talk about it you look at the mileage the elevation you hear people's stories and but y'all are you're selling me you're making it sound sound worth it it. so hard and it is so worth it i love it well said i like what you said so right when you got done you already knew you wanted to do it again like you loved it from from the get-go because some people you know it's like it's like a month later they're like okay maybe maybe i'll do it again and they kind of talk themselves into it but you were just like hooked yeah i mean i was totally destroyed like it rocked me but i was like i need more of this like i was ready yeah 
I love it, man. And then you figured out a way to quit your job and <laughs> whatever y'all are doing now. <laughs> yeah. Long string of events to get there. Yeah. Well, sure, sure. Yeah. I like to jump ahead. All right, Katie. How did how did yours go? Um, I think when I started, my head wasn't in the right place to race or finish the Colorado Trail. A few miles in, I just like smashed my knee on a rock. And I don't know, that messed with my head a lot. My knee swelled up, it was cut open, like, and it was super painful. And then I was just like super timid riding after that. So I probably didn't ride as much as I should have. And then just... Were you frustrated? I mean, you know, you do all the training, you do the travel, you get there and it's like the first three miles. You're like, are you freaking kidding me right now? Yeah. And I like, it was a dumb mistake that I made. I should have been more careful. So yeah, that kind of messed with my head. And then just all the hiking, I had tested out those shoes, but it's totally different when you spend all day in them. And then we had a lot of snow. So uh, like wet feet and blisters just really destroyed my feet. And I tried to suffer through it as long as I could. And I remember like the the day before I quit, I was riding with this guy, Tim, and we met each other like right after Leadville. And then he was talking about needing to catch a plane. He was pretty sure he wasn't going to be able to finish the trail. And I was like, oh, we could totally finish by then. Like, I'm going to get over uh, Kokomo and Searle. And then after that, you just got the detour and you'll totally be able to finish in time. So I drugged this man into like riding super late into the night. And um, so we were hiking at Kokomo and Searle and he was like, oh, you're limping. Like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. (laughs) And so... Uh, that night I took my shoes off and I looked at my feet and I was like, oh man, this isn't looking good. Like, Oh, so you weren't limping because of your knee. You were limping because of your feet. Oh yeah. Or both. It was just everything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Everything. Yeah. I had like the knee issue, the feet issue and like some asthma issues that were just, I don't know. It's, it's hard in your head when you're not mentally prepared for all that. And when things start to go wrong and you get into like that negative cycle, I just wasn't prepared for that. The next day I got into copper, Andrew had finished. So I called him and said like, dude, awesome job. I don't know if I'm going to make it, but (laughs) you did an awesome job. I was like, okay, I'll do this next hike and see how it goes. So I hiked up 10 mile range and I was going like less than one mile an hour. And it took me so long and I finally got to the top and I was like, I'm not going to be able to finish. Like I have these open blisters that like at this point are bleeding and like, you just can't, you can't keep going like that. Yeah. So I called Andrew and had him pick me up. And even though like that was, that was a legitimate reason to quit. It still really sucked. Why did it bother you so much? Um, I don't know. I guess kind of the thing we were talking about before, like I don't quit things. If I say that I'm going to do something, like I try not to flake out (laughs) and not being able to finish something that you intended to do. Yeah. Felt kind of crummy. You know, when you're doing things that are really difficult, you have to know that there's a chance of failure. And if there wasn't, like everybody would do it. Right. So. So you you didn't let it get you down. You just did it just like stick with you in a, in terms of like, I need to go and finish that? Or how did it sit with you after you were done? Yeah. After I was done, I was like, okay, I need to make some changes. 
training wise and gear wise and I'm going to go back next year and actually do it. So yeah, it didn't, it didn't like crush my soul or anything. But it was just a bummer at the time, you know? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's that, that knee injury in the first three miles. Like I just can't get over that. That's, that's such a bummer. Yeah. It was so dumb. I was just, I was not riding smart. Silly stuff like that is, is the kind of stuff that like frustrates me. You know, there's so much that you can't control, but if something stupid happens that just like, you're like, Oh man, bummer. Yeah. You have to remember, like, it's a long race. It's a long race. Don't ride like an idiot in the first three months. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's so technical sections that you have to survive for a week. Right. So you're not just out for a day ride, like see how fast you can go through this. You're like, uh, here's this big rock garden descent with a big drop at the end. I think I'm just going to walk down. Right. Yeah. Fully, fully loaded. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's plenty of those and we've both become way better mountain bikers after doing the CT because you walk so much and then you get to these sections where it's like, I don't know if I can ride that, but I've been walking so much and I'm riding right now and I really like to stay on my bike. And so you're just like, I'm going to send it. I'm just going to go. And you're like, oh, I did it. You know? So it's like the stuff we were riding beginning of last summer to right now, it's like I'm writing down stuff that I wouldn't have touched. It just gives you that sense of confidence because you've kind of forced yourself to just try it. You're spending a week plus on your bike. It's like months of experience just jammed into one week and you get, you get good, you know? <laughs> Real fast. <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's a good training block for sure. Training block for what? <laughs> What's next? For mount, well, I mean, just for mountain biking skills. Neither of us are great mountain bikers. If I go mountain biking with my friends. They all wait for me. <laughs> okay, yeah. So more uh, gravel, and obviously, like around Kansas. I mean, anybody doesn't know. I mean, obviously, that's like gravel, the gravel kingdom over there. Endless gravel, yeah. And we have pretty good uh, mountain bike trail systems in Kansas City, so we were riding whenever we could. But just you know, technical skills wise, just or just confidence going down, you know, rocky features and stuff. We're both fairly timid or cautious, I guess. And so doing stuff on the Colorado trail, like just kind of gives you a boost where you're just like, all right, I'm, I better try and ride this because otherwise I'm just going to walk all day long. <laughs> I like it. So Katie, what, what did you change? What did you learn from 2019 and change? You talked about your training. What did you do to prepare? So you didn't quit in 2020. So I switched to flat pedals and hiking shoes that was like the number one thing where I was like, all right, next year, I'm not going to hike in cycling shoes. Like that just did not work for my feet. And I'm kind of like a barefoot person. So wearing shoes and then wearing really stiff shoes just doesn't work for me very well. So that was the big gear change. I switched from using more of a trail bike with full suspension and gears. I switched to a single speed hardtail, my pedalino that they did an awesome job with that yeah we need to talk about that bike at some point yeah <laughs> yeah it's a sweet bike so that was another b big gear change i um put a little more weight on my pack so i had a 12 liter pack because i really struggled with like lifting my bike over things and stuff and then also some more strength training so that i didn't struggle as much with the hiking and the lifting my bike over obstacles that's smart. I was wondering, you had a big old backpack on, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. If you're doing a lot of hike a bike, you're pushing up a mountain. Yeah. yeah. I've been a big proponent of like with tour divide mindset, you're like, don't have anything on your back. If you can help it, like put everything on the bike and then you're not having extra weight on your saddle. And so I've been like anti-backpack 
And then after last year, I had everything on my bike last year, no back, back, no, no hip pack, anything. And your bike gets really heavy. You know, you got a two or three liter bladder in there. You got food, all, the, all your gear. And so we both brought a 12 liter pack. So we had water and like rain gear and maybe like toiletries or like some extra food, um, kind of weight, but just enough bulk to take a little bit off and you're hiking so much that the saddle issue isn't really there. So a small pack at least makes a lot of sense on the CT. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense. Is that a common setup for the CT? Do you see a lot of other riders doing a similar thing? Yeah. yeah. A lot of, I mean, at least a hydration pack or a small hiking pack. I wouldn't want to do it with anything too big where you've got like high center of gravity, but having base is nice uh katie what about the mental side i know you said that you weren't like mentally prepared i think is what you said for it does that just come with experience or do you work on the mental side at all yeah i did work on that like so trying to get into more like positive thought patterns about i can do it even when it's hard and not just feeling like oh this really sucks right now so i taped some keywords and some mantras on my handlebars to keep me in that positive headspace. And the first was live, which reminded me that like not every moment is going to feel good, but like that's life, like enjoy every moment or live every moment, even the tough ones. Another word was gratitude. So like, it's a huge privilege to be out there to have the time that we have off of work and the means to be out there is a huge privilege. And just being grateful for being out there is something that that really helps me just stay in that positive headspace. And then the one we talked about before with growth over comfort. So even when it's tough, like valuing growing as a person over being comfortable, I think is an important thing in life. Yeah, I agree. That really resonated with me. I've I've learned through adversity that if you're willing to go through something hard and learn from it, if it's hard, why is it? I mean, unless it's something like someone dies or something, but you know, I mean, if you're in a hard position, like why are you there? You know, how'd you get yourself there and how can you get yourself through it and try to learn from it? And then you get stronger and better. And it, it just seems like if you apply that in life on the other side of discomfort is a lot of growth if you choose to to grow and i think that's a choice that people have to make in life and even in bikepacking it's like am i going to just relegate myself to now and this moment in time or am i going to keep pushing and grow in this opportunity and just keep going forward yeah absolutely that's a good one i might i might use it it's just so simple growth over comfort it's just very simple and it's a great Mantra is the word I couldn't think of earlier. It's a great mantra. Very simple. I mean, just a positive mental attitude, basically. Yeah. And just like thinking about, okay, what's going to be hard about this for me? And how do I prepare for that? So like, I knew going into the Colorado Trail, like the hardest part for me was probably going to be if Andrew finishes like two days ahead of me, and I know he's in Denver drinking beer with his friends. And I'm still out on the trail. Like that's going to be the hardest part for me. So just like kind of preparing yourself for those situations that didn't end up happening, but, <laughs> <laughs> but just keeping in mind those things that have been difficult in the past and thinking through how to address those situations when they come up. And yeah, that's really smart. You know, make those decisions. I mean, to the extent that you can before 
you go out there. So you're mentally prepared, like, okay. And you've done most of the Colorado trail before. And so you can kind of mentally prepare yourself for, you know, some stuff that's coming up maybe. Yeah. All right. So y'all said that you weren't even planning to do a yo-yo that you found out about it like a week before and decided to, so like, how did that happen? <laughs> like, how do you just, yeah. oh, we're going to yo-yo it. We're on our way um, to Colorado and we are talking to Alexandra, like call her on the phone because she's headed to Colorado to go prepare for her yo-yo. And we're talking and realize that we're like half an hour behind her on the interstate. And so we, find a spot to camp and she pulls off and we meet her there and we start talking and she starts telling us about like, she's been looking at this yo-yo thing. Apparently no one's ever done it before. She's attempted it before during like she's raced it and then attempted to ride back. And so she's like, she's got a plan. And the more she talks about it, the more we're like, man, our just tour sounds, why wouldn't we try the yo-yo? You know, <laughs> Whose idea was it? Did y'all both, again, did y'all both come to this confluence at a perfect time? Like, are y'all just so in sync or <laughs> was one of y'all like, I want to yo-yo it. And the other one was like, I don't know. Yeah. So Alexandra had been talking about doing a yo-yo for a while. And I kind of like knew in the back of my mind that Andrew was going to end up wanting to do a yo-yo. <laughs> like we we had this planned tour together and I was like, are you sure? Like this doesn't sound like it's actually going to like I just know Andrew well enough like he's got this competitive spirit that something is going to change about our plan and he was a little bit offended at first where he was like why don't you think I want to tour with you and I was like I don't know seems like you're pretty excited about the (laughs) yo-yo so yeah I think I knew that Andrew was going to want to do the yo-yo and then if Andrew was going to do the yo-yo then I had to do the yo-yo so yeah, that's kind of how that went. <laughs> so what happened? So Alexandra um, just came off, obviously, the Colorado Trail as well. And she was she was close to the record. Do you know why she didn't yo-yo it? She had really crummy weather, just like we did. But when she got to Durango, that weather was going to continue for her. We started a few days back from her. So that was kind of one of the things is the weather was crummy. She had some mechanical issues. Oh, that's right. She sent me pictures. Did y'all get the pictures of she used her Garmin? Okay, I guess we should tell since we're talking about it, but her dropper post failed yeah. Um, yeah. early on. She sent me a picture of a, of a Leatherman taped around the post like as a splint, and I was just like, that is genius. She, like, she yeah, is such a genius. Life. It held up for like an hour. I don't know how long it was, but <laughs> she was trying to find ways to keep the dropper up. Yeah. And then, so what she figured out was the, uh, she used her Garmin, the Garmin mount, and she clamped that around her seat post so it would stay up. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I saw the Leatherman as well. So she had, a, she's like a mad scientist. Um, I know at DK, she had some pedal issues, like her pedal fell off and she was like trying to MacGyver all this stuff. Yeah. She just had like a, a really unfortunate string of events happen that she wasn't able to finish, which was a super bummer. Cause well, she finished. She, she well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, she finished the trail. She, yeah, wasn't able to do the yo-yo. Yeah, the fact that she finished with all those mechanics—I forgot. I don't. I can't believe I forgot it was super that. Fast I just time, like six days, fourteen hours, or something like that. Like 
she's a badass. But y'all weren't even planning on being the first yo-yo. Mm-hmm. Y'all were planning on being right. the second yeah, or no, the, <laughs> the second and third yo-yo. The allure of just it hadn't been done, and um, it was this new challenge that was just it was that that was tempting to see if we could do it. You know, I mean, yeah. mostly for ourselves, right? Just mm-hmm. yeah, we weren't like trying to set a super fast record or anything like that. Like we just wanted to see, like, can I do it? Yeah. Okay. So y'all decide eventually to go with Andrew's dream of the (laughs) yo-yo. And uh, no, but how, how are y'all approaching it? Uh, Were you going to ride it together? What was your plan, strategy, goal going into it? I mean, a week before. So like you're, I mean, I don't know, Andrew, maybe this was on your radar a little bit, but I, I mean, we've been talking about it for a month or two at least. So I, I thought about it, but I was like, oh yeah, that's nice. I don't think we're gonna have time. We had some other things that we had scheduled and then it was like, okay, let's make time for this. This is going to be cool. But that was, yeah, a week before. So we were planning to tour. And so we weren't really planning to like do much of night riding. And I was going to kind of use stuff we had. And so we switch gears. All right, we're going to do ITT yo-yo. So ride separately. You know, we have all our own stuff, but ordered like some new helmet lights because we weren't satisfied with our lights last year. I ordered a backpack like Katie had. Uh, There were a couple other things that we had to do, like fast shipping, go to bike shops that week just to get everything ready for an ITT instead of a tour. We had... uh, I bet that was exciting too, though. Oh, yeah. It's like once once we decided we were doing it, we were just like, all right, game on. Yeah, let's get ready. So that was a, yeah, some last minute prep there. Yeah. So ITT, we both have our own setups. We're both individual um, time trial. So we start the same time in Waterton and then, you know, basically split from there. Did you split just because you were riding faster? Because in the article you said, I watched Andrew right away. I mean, and, but you've said y'all are pretty similar pace and um, to foreshadow, spoiler, y'all finished on at the same time. So yeah, I was kind of curious. He, like in the articles, like he just zoomed away. Our pieces <laughs> become more similar the longer it is, you know? So yeah, uh, at, at the beginning, sense, Andrew yeah. was riding faster than me. Um, so yeah, I watched him go up the trail and I was going my all day pace. And so we started separately and were for the first five days, we, we rode separately before we caught each other. Katie, what were your, what was your goal going into it? Um, well, priority number one was just to finish, like whatever it takes to finish. We don't have a timeline. So I was hoping I would be able to do it in between 14 to 16 days, which we ended up doing a little over 16 days. So that was, I guess, kind of a a success. But my number one priority was to finish it, regardless of how long it took. Yeah. Were you 100% committed to the yo-yo? Yeah, I like I had to be in my head. If you're not 100% committed in your head, like you're not going to do it. (laughs) Boom. That goes back to the mental part. You got to be in the right mental frame of mind to tackle something like that. You can't be thinking about it like, I'm going to do the Colorado Trail, and then I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to do the Colorado Trail. Like, that is so hard, you know, to be like, I'm done. I'm going to start again. No, you're you're halfway, you know. Like, we were going to try to have everything packed to be able to get to the trailhead in Durango at Junction Creek and just turn around, like not even go into town. It didn't quite work out that way, but we still had a pretty quick turnaround. Like we didn't let ourselves hang out in town and have a beer. And <laughs> yeah, you couldn't mentally check out your friends come to the bar to 
see you and well, I don't know. This is yeah, kind of nice. Been, <laughs> he was reminding me, I guess, when decisions would come up, you know, there's every day you're making all these decisions about, you know, okay, what am I going to eat? How far am I going to go? Where am I going to sleep? Uh, all this stuff. And Katie's logic for all those decisions was, is this, does this help or hurt the yo-yo? Right. Okay. So do this like super sketchy descent and try and go fast. Does that help or hurt the yo-yo? It's like, well, if I crash, I, you know, won't be able to do another week and a half or whatever. Yeah, so, or deciding to go later into the night. Like, is this going to help or hurt the yo-yo? It, like, in some cases, it helps if you're trying to get to a resupply. But in some cases, if you're just going to the, into the night just to get a longer day in, like, that's not going to help. Like, you just have to be okay with wherever you're at at the time that you decide to stop. Yeah, because it kind of you have to step back and be a little bit more sustainable than a regular Colorado Trail race because the dudes that are going really fast in Colorado Trail race, I mean, you know, four days, like they're barely sleeping, but you can afford to do it, you know, because it's if you can do it in four days, you can survive with just very, very little sleep before it all catches up with you. Right. But if you're going to be out there for two weeks, it's like, okay, I got to start, you know, I don't want to dig myself in this huge hole sleeping two hours a night and so yeah we had kind of talked beforehand like all right six hours of sleep you got to keep your head on straight you got to be recovered like if you're going to be out there for two weeks it's a whole different animal than five or days so part of the strategy was does this help or hurt yes or no yeah so you both kind of were on that same wavelength because you said for the five day first five days you did not ride together so but you're both kind of on the same wavelength in terms of how you were approaching it yeah it was kind of tricky for me at least you know i was kind of towing the line between i want to go fast and i want to race and i want to complete this yo-yo because it's like on a a one-way trip um you know just getting to durango like i was like oh i want a good time you know i want to be competitive time but then it was like okay my time to durango like doesn't matter at all like if i do what i want to do nobody's going to even know what this time is. I just have to focus on the overall time, you know? And I had to kind of remind myself of that where it was like, okay, I don't need to push into the night. I don't need to turn myself inside out. Just, I need to just keep riding, just move. Yeah, you're more competitive than me. (laughs) (laughs) So it's harder to slow down. It's harder to keep yourself in check. I can see that. You got to remind yourself it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yep. Got to be in it for the long game. Yep. So, uh... Katie, you, day three, your cell phone just like exploded into the ether and never to be found again. Like what happened? I was trying to use my cell phone, like getting into uh, Buena Vista, like to get directions to the gas station. Like I was pretty sure I knew where I needed to go and check my messages and everything. Um, And I tried to turn it on and it wouldn't turn on. So I plugged it into my dynamo. It wouldn't charge, plugged it into my battery pack, wouldn't charge got to the gas station, plugged it into an outlet with a different cord and it still didn't charge. So I don't know, maybe it got wet or something. What kind of phone? It's a Motorola. I don't know, nothing special. <laughs> uh, well, at least you didn't brick a $1,200 iPhone. <laughs> did you get another cell phone or did you like what happened with it after that? Yeah, after that, I like sat at the ga- gas station, like super confused because you just always have your phone. Like you always have it. I was like, uh, okay, like 
do I stay in Buena Vista and get another phone? And I was like, no, if I stay overnight here, like I'm just, I'll, there's a good chance I'm going to quit because I'm a disaster right now. I need to keep riding. So Buena Vista is about halfway mileage wise, just for reference. Yeah. Yeah. So halfway I, to Durango. Yep. Yeah. So I asked the lady in the gas station, Hey, is there a public phone somewhere that I can use? to like tell my family my phone's broken. And she was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. So I have an in-reach mini, which is super slick to use. If you have a phone, you can just like text on your phone and send it, send a message through your in-reach mini. But mm-hmm. since I didn't have my phone, I typed a message. Like you have to scroll and select one letter of the alphabet and then scroll again, select the next letter of the alphabet. <laughs> uh, so type the message, phone broke, going to keep going to Andrew and my parents, and then just kept going and then didn't have a phone for like two weeks. So it was kind of nice. Oh, no. So you never uh, got your phone back. Wow. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't get one until we got back to Denver. And why, why was it nice? I mean, I can imagine, but I'd like to hear. Uh, I could ride my ride without being so preoccupied about Andrew's dot. And like before I was like, oh, well, Andrew's this far ahead of me. And that means he's going to get done this many days ahead of me, which was the thing that I knew I was going to struggle with. And I still did it to myself. But now it's like Andrew could be two hours ahead of me. He could be two days ahead of me. It doesn't matter. If I think that I want to quit, I have to do the scroll one letter at a time thing. And, you know, by the time I get that message typed out, I'm probably not going to want to quit anymore. <laughs> so I can just ride my own ride without, without anything else. What about like, would friends send you messages and stuff like encouraging messages? And I always found like those were pretty helpful, I think, to get like little emotional boost, you know? Yeah. Whenever your friend's watching your dot at like one o'clock in the morning and there's a storm and someone's like, you're so awesome. You can do it. You know, like you didn't have that. No. So that was kind of cool, too. Like you just you have to rely so much more on yourself. Good point. Why you're doing it in your own head and not rely on that outside support or Yeah. So the one thing that I was really bummed about was having no music, like for wildlife, like during the night and early morning hours, that and then I had like pictures of the guidebook on my phone. But then I learned to trust my memory. Like I, I know the route I'd ridden it last year from that point. And like, I knew the spots that I needed to fill up on water. So yeah, just learning to trust my memory. Yeah, it's weird. We're not used to having to do that. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have to rely on, like, with a cell phone, everything is in reach. You can call anyone. You can get any information. Everything is in reach, you know? Like, you could call a mechanic and have them FaceTime and walk you through a mechanic. Not to say you would do that on a self-support event, obviously, but just in general, you know? And, like, to have that stripped away is just, like, such a foreign concept in today's day and age. Yeah. That can be tough, especially in the western half. You just start to get out in those remote areas, which kind of nice. Yeah, for sure. That's one of the great things about getting away from cell phone service. I love it. I love whenever I'm going on vacation and I leave that voicemail that says, y'all don't have jobs, so you don't understand. (laughs) But other regular people, we have jobs and we have to, uh, thank you for calling Patrick. I'm going to be out of cell phone service for the next five days. Like that's my favorite message to leave on my voicemail. Like I'm just... Oh, that's so good. Andrew, what about you? So were you concerned at all about the fact that she didn't have a cell phone or you're like, nope, you're on your own. Here I go. (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, there wasn't much I could do at that point. I'd got that message that her phone was broken. So I knew, you know, she could still text me if like something bad happened. Um, but yeah, I still had my SOS button. Yeah. Like, she, yeah. If there was an emergency, I would be okay. Um, that is so so valuable like i have a spot you have an inreach mini whatever i'm a big big fan of i mean i, I know on the Cotero trail they they make you have one right i mean that's a requirement or to no do a, to do an itt you have to have a tracker i would carry one out there even if it wasn't breaking mm-hmm. yeah because no matter what you got that button you can you can push and the cavalry will come <laughs> yeah, yeah it could take a while to get there but yeah yeah Depends on where you are, if they got to get a helicopter or a boat or whatever, but they're going to get there. I've had a guy, Tomas Quinos, oh, Tomas, I can't remember his last name, but he works at a ride with GPS. He was on an eight day bike tour in the desert in, I think it's called like Death Valley in Oregon, which I didn't even know there was a, a desert in Oregon, but there is apparently. He came across like a 70 or 80 year old man that was damn near dead laying in the middle of the road on like set the seventh day of this bike trip that he went on no car around no food no water just an old guy laying in the middle of the road not responsive barely breathing and uh he had his garmin or not his garmin he had his spot tracker and he pushed the sos and saved the guy's life so i had he came on the podcast and, and talked about it and ever since then i was like okay I don't know. It's just like, you never know what you're going to come across. And, uh, even if it saves your life or somebody else's or whatever, it's just such a, it's such a safety net and peace of mind for me, at least to have that. All right. Enough plugging, uh, giving them free advertising. (laughs) So I wanted to talk about the toilet that y'all met up on, I guess, day five. I thought it was so funny. Like how many articles are you going to read where they're like, oh, I'm really looking forward to that toilet to go (laughs) sleep in. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk toilets and sleeping in toilets because I bet that's not a topic that most people talk about. Oh, man. Montana Hilton. Yeah. Talk. So y'all. So yeah. Tell me the toilet story. Maybe Andrew start because you got there first. Yeah. So there's a let's see. We're on a a gravel detour around a wilderness area. There's like, I think, five wilderness detours on the CT. You can't take a bike into wilderness area, so you're out on gravel or pavement. On most of those, it takes you through a town anyway, so it's like you get a resupply. Um, they're usually a pretty welcome break from the single track if you're getting beat up. But So it's at the end of one of these detours. Uh, there's Spring Creek Pass, and there's a trailhead there. And so I got there uh, 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night, and... It's been raining on me most of the afternoon. And then as I'm like pulling into the trailhead, it just starts dumping rain. And so I see vault toilet and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go sit underneath that roof and see what happens. And I was sitting outside under the covered area uh, and then the wind shifts and I'm getting wet. So I hop inside and I hadn't slept in one before. I, I always hear stories about people, you know, camping out in a vault toilet with the racing and stuff. But I hadn't done it myself and there wasn't really anyone around. There were a few cars in the parking lot, but I think they were uh, like hikers that had left their car and gone because it was just late at night. Um, and then I hear a bike roll up and I hear a knock on the door and there's this other bike packer and he was touring the route and he's like, Oh, thanks for opening up. Like, and I was like, dude, yeah, you want to stay in here? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> he, he got split up from his buddies and uh, they had the tarps. So it's like pouring rain. Oh, nighttime i don't know probably 
50 degrees, 45 degrees. And he was like, yeah, I was trying to camp out under the, under that picnic table, but there's like slats of wood. It's not a roof. It's not, he was in bad. I mean, would have been in a scary situation. I think, um, had that shelter not been there. So we got inside and got to know each other for a minute. <laughs> um, his name is Lenny. He's a cool guy. We're friends now. We, you know, we had that like mandatory 15 minute, like, here's my name. Here's who I am. Here's what I do. Uh, what's your name? And then, okay, now let's set up our bivvies right next to each other in the toilet and go to sleep. <laughs> um, how, how much room would, well, actually, let me ask that question later. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, not, not wide enough to sleep head to toe or, you know, on uh, sleep width wise. So we were diagonal, but, uh, this was a this was a great vault toilet. No, it did not smell. I swear, it's a. Uh, there's no toilet paper, but uh, it was clean. A lot of the, a lot of the vault toilets out there, like in more like remote. Like, yeah, not not near like a city center. There, I feel like the users are more respectful, and so they get the regular maintenance. They're just they're in fine condition. Um, so this was not a gross experience. I I would say um, floor was pretty clean, and we're in our bivvies anyway, so it's like. Yeah, but it was dry in there and it was pouring rain. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to get a few hours of sleep and see what happens. Um, see what the weather's like early in the morning and get out of here. And so we go to sleep and then like one thirty in the morning, I hear a knock on the door and I'm just like, oh, this is exactly what I hoped wouldn't happen. This is going to be so awkward. What do I do? <laughs> do I, do I, knock? Do I... <laughs> and then as I'm contemplating all this, I hear, uh, Andrew, it's me. I'm like, no way. <laughs> no way. And I like scramble to unlock the door and Katie's standing there just soaked. <laughs> How was this happening? I hadn't had cell phone service for 24 hours at least. Um, so I didn't know yeah. where she was. And she had made this push through to, uh, to get to the Spring Creek Pass and she got her stuff inside. We fit three people in the toilet, which was definitely the max. Uh, <laughs> Are there pictures of this? Not, um, not the inside. I didn't even think of it. Yeah. Oh, man. But, I mean, we we set up in the dark, tore down in the dark. It was, oh, yeah. wasn't a, you know. Yeah, it wasn't a glamorous situation, but it's a funny story. Uh, Katie, I thought... So can we talk about like your experience leading up to that? Cause I was reading the article and you were like planning on making it to that toilet. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just so funny. You're like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not usually a toilet sleeper. Like I will a hundred percent sleep outside if I can. But, uh, I started that detour at like six thirty at night and it's about 50 miles. So I guess at that point I was like, 90 miles away from Silverton, I think. And I was doing the math in my head, like, okay, if I stop at 11 o'clock, am I going to make it to the gas station in Silverton during um, their hours? And if I would have stopped at 11, like I 100% would not have made it there. Um, so I was like, all right, I'll just knock out the rest of this detour. And then maybe tomorrow I'll make it to Silverton for that resupply. Kept riding, and then it started raining a lot, and it was pretty cold. So I was like, all right, I've either got to like keep moving or stop somewhere I know I'm going to be warm. Now I'm committed to getting to that trailhead with the toilet because the night before it had rained and pretty much all day it rained on and off and like there wasn't enough sun or time 
with sun to dry out my bivy and stuff. So it would have been like a pretty cold night. Um, so getting to that point where there's at least an emergency shelter, even if I, you know, set up outside, if I get too cold, I can go in there. But yeah, so I planned on making it to that toilet and then I got there and there are already two bikes outside and I was like, oh, dang it. Like somebody else has already claimed the toilet. So your heart sank. Yeah. I was soaking wet, cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, it was one thirty. I was super tired. I've been riding for 20 hours. And so then I look a little bit closer and I was like, that is Andrew's bike. Like I had, I assumed at this point he was like way ahead of me and I would not see him again until we, you know, cross paths on the trail at some point go in the other direction. But I stood out there like contemplating whether I knock on the door or not, because like there's already two dudes in there. And even though you knew it was Andrew, you still thought about not knocking on the door. I didn't want to wake him up. (laughs) (laughs) You're so nice. (laughs) And also like, I was like, I don't know if there's going to be a room for a third in there, but I, I decided that Andrew would want me to knock on the door. So I did. We all squeezed in there together. (laughs) It was very tight. (laughs) Oh, that's so, it's kind of cute. It's kind of cute. Do you have any idea how much of a gap you made up? I mean, cause you didn't have your phone. So God, yeah, it was day three where you lost your phone. And so there's two days where you didn't know where each other was basically. So do you have any idea how, yeah, how much of a gap you closed? Oh, I guess you could go back and look at your track leaders yeah, though. Yeah, and, I went and figure there that out. 930 or something. And she got there at one thirty, So we would have been somewhere around four hours apart. Um, yeah. So pretty close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was definitely yeah, really close Yeah, right. in a 16 in a day race. That's really close. Right. <laughs> right. That's neck and neck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's neck and neck. So our second half, like day four through seven or eight, those like four or five days hit a pretty nasty weather window in the San Juans. And I'd read like there's a CTR Facebook group that people were posting about like the weather forecast and people were postponing their ITTs because there's supposed to be like inches of rain over the next few days. And that's just like, you know, 10 X or a hundred X what they usually get. And so people were talking about how, Oh, it's going to be terrible weather. Like might as well wait for your ITTs. And I was like, Oh, we're already like three days in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the benefits of not having a phone, I was just, you know, ignorance. Of this. I was just out there riding. Yeah, Didn't matter sure. what the weather was going to be. I was just going to keep riding. For sure. It, yeah. it got into my head a little bit. And so Next, those last you know day four and day five like it's just raining off and on i'm riding up these passes and i can just see like dark clouds at the top and i'm just like what am i doing <laughs> and so we were probably moving at pretty similar speeds then because the weather was slowing both of us down at different points and okay there were, there were sections of trail that i was going down it was just a stream it was like i'm walking down stuff that should just be cruising because you're walking through a river yeah <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I'm going to destroy these brake pads and crash on roots. And so I'm walking and there were some slow days for sure. I mean, it's cool that y'all, when I read the article and y'all like hooked back up or connected, I was like, I don't know. I got like super excited. I was like, because <laughs> the, way, the way it was written is like, and there he goes. And I never saw him again. And then you catch him like, whoa, he caught him <laughs> or she caught him. That's awesome. So then what was the strategy? You're together. You're on an ITT. Now, what do you do? So that next day, uh, we left with our new friend, Lenny. You know, we'd all bunk mates. 
best friends for life now. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm tight. And uh, that next stretch, um, you leave from Spring Creek Pass, and you make your way up to the high point of the course, a little over thirteen thousand feet, and then you go through. Um, you get in really into the San Juans, and it's like this incredible area. It's so like the most beautiful stretch, I think, um, segment twenty three, I think. But really slow going, like hike up, ride down, hike up, ride down. Just it's it's a long stretch of slow moving. And so that next day, all three of us were pretty much together, like slow going. It was just like a mist all day long, riding through a cloud. So we all got to Silverton pretty much same time. And it had been a dark and gloomy day and we were wet and cold and like needed food. And Katie's calculation was right. You know, we made it to Silverton uh, about 830 because we thought the gas station opened until nine, but the gas station was open until eight. And so we all got into Silverton without a resupply and the previous resupply. So that Western half of the trail, you have a stop in BV and then there's a couple other stops close to BV, uh, Princeton Hot Springs, but the limited hours. So it's really, you have a resupply at BV, you have a resupply at Silverton and then Durango. So Hmm. between BV and Silverton is some really tough miles and uh, i don't know 150 or 180 miles some somewhere in there it's two solid days maybe or three. It, at least two yeah three days yeah. in bv you're loading up on food but you know we had both kind of cut it short so we got to silverton with very little in the tank and we're needing a resupply so we couldn't go the next stretch to finish it uh, in durango without resupplying and Silverton basically shuts down at eight there were some bars on the downtown stretch that were had lights on but they were closed they were just doing last call and like people were getting kicked out and they were just the whole town just shuts down it's a small town we found a campground hotel thing that had a opening and they rented a cabin to us because we were just we had to wait until the gas station opened in the morning and yeah. fortunately there were like some random ramen packets in the cabin <laughs> so warmed up some ramen <laughs> and uh went to bed a little hungry but dried out a bunch of stuff and definitely needed that dry place to sleep it would have been rough just resupplying and then heading back out on the trail that day because it was just wet all day but did you get some good breakfast in the morning at least i'm feeling bad for you over here so, okay so yeah that's that's a low point then the next morning you know we sleep in a bit go to the gas station, get loaded up, go to the grocery store, load up more, get breakfast, waste enough time that we need to get lunch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so we're sitting there feeling, you know, well-fed, the sun is out. Okay, let's let's get going. Yeah, wrestling with, okay, we were on this ITT, we were separate, now we're together. You know, what is this what does this all mean? What are we what are we going to do? And then that next day we're riding together and I don't know, we just, it's pretty easy to stick together. We'd been through all that weather and it was pretty nice to have someone else to kind of bounce ideas off of where it was like, okay, what do you think? Is this, is that thunderstorm going to hit or, you know, going to go over this exposed area during this thunderstorm or so having a, just another person out there, we'd been basically solo up until then. Um, and so, yeah, I think just as we rode and we were just, yeah, it, it seemed silly once we realized our paces were so similar. It seemed silly to split up again. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, you weren't obviously that far behind and you caught him on day five. I, I don't really know all the proper rules and everything. So did it become like a couples uh, category after that? Or is it still an ITT? Like, how, how does all that play out? <laughs> definitely rules with ITT. You know, it's supposed to be all self-supported, you know, no, no services that aren't publicly available, no food or water caches, no friends meeting you with supplies, no friends meeting you in general. Those are the rules, you know, for Tour Divide, whatever. Um, they're all pretty much the same. And so we were both self-sufficient, our own setups, but then met together on the trail. And I think kind of, I, I'm definitely still learning the rules. Um, yeah, I think we were definitely at the very least in a gray area as far as <laughs> right. as an ITT. Like we, uh, we didn't intend to ride together at the beginning, yeah. but once we got together, it was just like ITT or not, like this makes more sense to just finish this together. Right. So, yeah. I was thinking about it. Things are a little bit different with an ITT, but in with a grand depart, you know, people ride the whole thing with a partner or a group of people. And it just, that's just how it ends up. Like a lot of people end up riding with other people and it's just meant to not be, you're meant to not, you know, intend to ride the whole thing with someone else. I think right. kind of the idea is to do it yourself. And that was our intent. But then when you kind of sync up with somebody, then it's like, Hey, it's really nice to have someone else here. And mm-hmm. Sometimes that's lower, right? Well, even think about, uh, we were talking about Ride the Divide, right? Think about Matthew and, I forgot his name, Andre? No, not, uh, oh, shit. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, you guys- but they kept, they kept uh, they were like waiting for each other. You know, he kept waiting for him and, and wanted the company and someone to ride with. And, you know, yeah, it gets low. So, I mean, I'm not on the rules committee and I don't really give a shit, but that's what I was thinking about is if there's other racers on any of these races, it's not uncommon to ride with somebody and even a couple people or whatever. If you're just like in a groove together, you see it all the time. So, you know, what's the difference between y'all syncing up? And yeah. and that's kind of... I think it's definitely a gray area because then it's like, okay, it's your partner rather than just some random dude on the trail or a friend. But I also think that, you know, riding with somebody can give you a boost uh, or it can be really helpful, but it can also make you go slower because you've got two different sets of, you know, food breaks, pee breaks, mechanical breaks. Uh, yeah, you try and take them at the same time, but that doesn't always end up that way yeah so yeah it can make you go faster it could definitely make you go slower i don't know yeah it's a gray area and we were definitely struggling with that um but at the end of the day we were like we want to get this thing done like for ourselves we want to complete the trail twice you know whether people dispute the time or whatever like i think the time is relatively soft like there's plenty of people that can go fast somebody can smash our yo-yo time like yeah for sure and so that wasn't the goal was the goal wasn't to set a, a record, you know, it was to complete the trail. And so at that point, we were like, we have a better shot of doing this together, I think, and it's going to be more fun. Yeah, I mean, it, it just think about the whole progression of going from a touring mindset to a yo-yo mindset within a week. And even doing that, you knew that Alexandra was out there going for it before you. So like you weren't even like, 
I mean, obviously she's super fast. And I mean, so I'm assuming that you're not like, okay, we're going to set the record and we're going to show everybody, you know, like you're just like, we, we just want to tackle this. We want to see what we can do. We want to push ourselves. And you did, you know, like that's kind of, I don't, I don't know gray area, Schmay area, but, um, you know, you we, both, we followed the, rules the best we could, but it, you know, once we synced up, um, it was going to be pretty tough to be like, all right, goodbye. I'll see you. See you later again. Like it was a pretty tough goodbye in Waterton Canyon. We were both like not really ready to start solo. Like it, it's tough to do that goodbye. So weren't really looking forward to doing that again and decided that, you know, let's enjoy this together. Like pretty special trail, pretty special time. Um, wrestled with it. And then we were like, let's ride together, whatever. I, I think it's cool. Whenever, like I said, when I read the article and I saw y'all hook back up and finish it, like I was like, fuck yeah. You know, I thought that was just, I don't know, you know, like I don't, I don't get too much in the weeds with the rules. I'm not a big racer. I, I respect the sport and um, you got to trust the people that are out there to just ad- adhere to the ethos to some extent right. and to, yeah. you know, to, to ride it your way and to, you know, you're out there on the trail and you got to make those decisions and uh, make them the best you can. So, you know, you, y'all thought about it and you did what you felt was right. And yeah. that's cool. You know? Yeah. I think the rules are definitely really important. I've just learned that more after, you know, we just toured the divide route, um, but saw people that were racing and learned from them. Like, you know, cause we, we were going to tour the route and we were like, Oh, we'll just hop on the tour divide tracker. Then learned very quickly that, okay, this is not a, you know, is not meant to be couples signing up together, not meant to share gear. I didn't even know about like no drafting. Like we were total rookies about, you know, all these rules. We're like, oh, there's all these rules. What is this? And but after, you know, talking to people, learning more about it, it's like, okay, there are these rules in place. They're very simple. It's to level the playing field. I don't know, it just makes it pure, I think, and kind of just keeps these races. It's like it's like the heart of bike packing, you know, it's like that it's that thing that makes it special that everybody's out there unsupported and, and tackling the elements and the terrain and you're on your own, you know, that's, that's special. As much as it can be, it's the same for everyone. So that's super cool. And that's where I have respect for the rules um, and I try to uphold them. And a bunch of them, right. Is on your honor, right. Nobody's out there with a video, like, you know, did, did he stay with a relative in the town or, you know, there's stuff like that. Or get a, a drop somewhere. Right, yeah. or, I mean, did yeah. Did he leave a- someone bring you a tube or slime or, yeah, I mean, you just, you don't know. It's all, that. that's the thing is, I mean, it has to be to an honor system to some extent. I mean, you can only, only tell so much by a dot that's moving around and those things lie sometimes too. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But I think, I, yeah, from, from most of the people I've interacted with, people want to follow the rules. Like people want a clean race. People want to do it right and know in their head that they did it. And it's a, it's a good feeling going through a, a race and knowing that you did it self-supported to me, it's almost kind of like, I love the feeling of having my bike loaded and knowing that like, I can just go wherever and I've got everything I need to be self-sufficient and like that cool yes. feeling. And it's kind of the same with the race where it's like, I did that whole thing just without anyone's help using minimal services and covering the train myself. That's the most important thing, I think, to be able to look back when you're done and say, I did that. Mm-hmm. I did that. Yeah, I don't want to doubt in my mind that yeah, I did, you know, hitchhike to that town and yeah. No, that's the thing. And, and that's why I think that 
the honor system works is because the people out there that are are doing these types of things like y'all they're wanting to challenge themselves they're wanting to do it self-supported there's no value in finishing and knowing that you cheated i definitely i didn't i don't mean to like downplay the rules but uh, i certainly uh, appreciate that they're there and and the reason why they're there but i just don't do a lot of racing myself and so i'm a little bit ignorant to the particulars of this gray area that you found yourself in yeah (laughs) right yeah yeah. let us know you figure that out there's definitely more to bikepacking than racing um but it i don't know the variety of doing a race following all the rules and then doing a tour and doing whatever you want like they're both really fun yeah and that's what's so great is you can do it all the different ways. Yeah. I think, you know, if y'all had went out there and laid down, like, let's say you did it in 10 days and you did it and you finished together in 10 days. I think there might, I mean, not from me, but I bet uh, Facebook would get fired up and start, you know, really getting into the weeds about, you know, records and all this kind of stuff. But I think it's a cool story. And I'm like I said, when I read it and, and saw about it, I, I was like, Fuck yeah. You know, I, I think it's, I, I don't know, Katie. I was just like, yeah, she caught him, you know? And like, well, now what's going to happen? Are they going to stay together? Is he going to beat her? Is she going to beat him? You know, like it was like her like day three or something, day two. And I saw, I like checked the tracker and it's so tempting to check the tracker just all the time. Like you can wait so much time in those races. I always kept checking the tracker and she was like two hours behind me or something. And I was like, I texted her. I was like, you're going to beat me. (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna be distracted i'm gonna be wasting time and you're gonna catch me and beat me and yeah not not far from it so well uh i knew this was gonna happen i have way more questions and we're talking way too much um blabbered for a while about rules and i'm sure that's just not very interesting It's interesting to me, you know, because like the thing is, is like there's so many people that listen to this podcast that aren't like super hardcore and that are and a lot of my audience is like new, you know, and still trying to understand. And so I think it's actually good information to put out there. So people like understand, like you said, I mean, you, you kind of learn from other oh, people yeah. as you do it, you know, so We're still learning. Yeah. The more you talk to people that have done the races, the more the rules make sense. Yeah. And like, we, we appreciate that question because like, I'm sure people are talking about it. You know? Yeah. I was, I was thinking about it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that's why I love podcasts because it gives, it gives you an opportunity to really like get inside the heads of people and like understand, you know, the decision making behind it and what you were thinking or feeling or whatever the situation may be. But that's why I personally like podcasts. Cause you can kind of get like the real story of what was going on. Is there a good way to wrap up being the first people to ever yo-yo the Colorado trail race. How are y'all feeling about yourselves? Were you like beyond stoked? Did you just want to like sleep forever? <laughs> like, <laughs> So we had nasty weather going through San Juan's on the way to Durango, which ended up costing us at least a day. Just that stretch from Silverton to Durango. It's like 80 miles and it took us two and a half days or something. So we intended to have enough food to get from Silverton to Durango to back to Silverton. Don't have to buy anything in Durango, you know, just it should be around a three day round trip. um, We were thinking, but it took us two and a half to get to Durango. So we needed to resupply, went into town, got a meal, got groceries. I bought a shock pump because my fork was leaking air and I was bottoming out. And so I had to nurse that a bit. 
But then we were back on the trail three hours later, started heading back, and the weather was pretty much perfect from there back to Denver. Like, the way back just, we were going faster because of better weather, but it was also like we were checking off these milestones, these places that we'd been, and it was like, oh yeah, that's where we camped two nights ago. Okay, that's where we did this. Oh, that's where, and we start that we had passed or you start seeing hikers and they're just like wait didn't we talk to you three days ago and you're like oh yeah we went to durango and we're, we're going back and they're like what? and it's fun talking to hikers on the trail because it's uh you're out there experiencing the same thing but it's a totally different experience because they're out there for a month and a half doing a through hike and so they're like when did you start and you're like oh three days ago and i've been out here for two weeks <laughs> <laughs> and, I don't know, just sharing that uh, experience on the trail is, is pretty cool. You're inspiring a whole nother generation of bike packers. Oh, dude. Pretty soon we'll see see all these hikers turning in their... Well, actually, they're not going to turn in their boots. They're going to keep their keep boots the boot, yeah. and get flat poodles. Yeah. <laughs> all the hikers comment, you know, we're pushing our bikes uphill and they're like, oh man, that looks so hard, like bringing a bike out here. And I'm like, dude, all my weight is on wheels. I'm pushing it. And then as soon as I get to the top, I'm gone. Like... <laughs> a lot of hikers comment about how tough it looks and it was like man i have to you know i have to go uphill the same as you i don't have it on my back and uh then i can go so fast (laughs) that's weird yeah it seems like the exact opposite yeah uh, most of the comments you get are just like oh man bringing a bike up here huh (laughs) it's like yeah i'm gonna go i'm gonna do this in like a week (laughs) <laughs> they must not be very good cyclists, obviously. They just, you know, they probably like that. Well, I mean, it's 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 techie terrain. And so they're hiking it and they're thinking, you know, with their perspective of probably not being cyclists, they're like, I don't know if this yeah. is a good idea. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm definitely biased. Like for a, a brand new cyclist, it could be a pretty slow going process, pretty frustrating on a bike just because it's like real mountain biking. <laughs> But as far as like the way back from Durango, like it just, it felt really fast. Like time went really fast and just every day we were so grateful for that good weather after we've had like four or five days of mostly rain. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and then being together and everything, it was just like, it was a really fun time on the way back. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. First people to ever yo-yo the Colorado trail. Woo woo! No one can ever. You can tell. I don't know if you're gonna have kids. You can tell everybody about that though. They can't take it away from you. Your bike packing hall of fame now. Pretty. I bet that'll go on Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm, I'll put it there. You're gonna put it on. All right. I always, sometimes I talk about that on the show. I'm like, you're you're the first guest I've ever interviewed that was on Wikipedia because you Google everybody, you know. And uh, some people show up on Wikipedia and some people don't. And for whatever reason, in my weird brain, if you're on Wikipedia, that means you've really done something. Yeah, yeah I don't know. <laughs> Although in our case, I feel like Bikepacking.com is like really the big one. It's pretty surreal seeing yeah Katie's post on there. Was, that was cool. We have our we have our blog, but our mom and some of our friends read it. well i'm glad you brought up your blog i mean first of all yeah bikepacking.com super cool i mean that's like winning the emmys in bikepacking (laughs) is getting on there and yeah i was checking out y'all's blog too i saw it on bikepacking on your little bio you had a link to it so i was checking it out um what's the link so people can follow along on your journeys yeah it's riding bikes with andrew and katie.blogspot.com perfect nice and short yep yeah (laughs) 
working and, on that. Yeah. What about your Instagrams? Because that's an easy way for people to follow along too. Yeah, mine is katie.strimke. Yeah, mine's just strimke. The Strimkeys. <laughs> so what is next for y'all? Where are y'all right now? You got your little van. You're a week off the uh, Colorado Trail. What's next? Yeah, I think we're going to head up near Yellowstone next. My parents are taking a trip out there. So uh, we're going to meet up with them. Maybe um, I and the Idaho Hot Springs route. It's pretty like a pretty cool touring route. I was just going to ask, what do y'all have a preference between touring, bike touring, and or bikepack touring and... Um, and, and racing or kind of they both have their time and season and yeah i think they're both really fun they're fun for different reasons um but i really enjoy pushing myself to see how fast i can go and there's a whole other side of uh racing when it's bike pack racing and like you have this efficiency aspect where it's like how fast can i do this resupply how little time can I spend standing around? I'm bad at it. Like I have a lot of stop time. And so I'm always trying to improve that. So that's that's fun to do to just push yourself. But then to be able to just tour and be like, nobody knows how fast we do this. So maybe we'll upload the rides to Strava, but we can take our time. And honestly, we haven't had a whole lot of time to do some of those tours that we want to do. And so it's been like, okay, we have a week of vacation. Like last summer, I used a you know week and a half of vacation to go to ctr so it was like go take vacation go to a race go back to work and so that that's how we do it that's how uh, that's how i always ask like what do you do for a job to be able to make this happen yeah, you know it's really tough to do it with a with a full-time job with an office job um yeah so we're looking forward to having more of a balance between the racing and touring and stuff coming up so i mean Y'all got to have some big plans though. Like you got some big routes you want to do or another race or are y'all really just kind of winging it? Uh, We're mostly winging it. <laughs> Arizona Pro Race has been on our radar. So if if that happens this year, we'll be there in October. Looks like there's some question marks around that with fires and all sorts of stuff. But that's one we'd really like to do at some point. Um, haven't really done any riding in Arizona. So that looks like a new challenge. Yeah, it looks beautiful too. Different kind of beautiful than the Colorado. Yeah, yeah, way more, I think way more diverse. And then we were both planning to do Tour Divide this year and it didn't happen. So race Tour Divide uh, individually next summer, that's the plan. And and maybe Katie will beat you and maybe she won't. Yeah. Oh, I got to ask. Uh, first of all, Katie, are you committed? Are you 100% single speed now? I don't know. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I, I such a good answer that's a, yeah i really i really like it um but i was ready for a break like the other day i hopped on my like full suspension bike with you know a huge range cassette and i was like oh this is so easy like i don't know if it's faster but it's easy uh, so yeah i needed a break from that after the colorado trail i think but yeah i'm sure you'll see me on single speed more <laughs> All right. And also what gear ratios were y'all running? The single speeders, single speeders will kill me if I don't ask this question. <laughs> uh, I was running 32.22. 32.22. I was on 34.22. I did 32.22 last year. And I think that was the better choice. Realized I had that gear on my bike too late. And I was looking around for, I was Santa Cruz Chameleon and the carbon chainstay is like dropped and actually interferes with a single speed chain line so oh. you need to run a bigger front chain ring um and so 
I I ended up I had that 34 on there for that reason and I was looking around for a 23 tooth cog like a few days before the race and I couldn't find one and mm. so I was like well I run the 22 I guess will you get a new bike to or what will you do to have more single speed range it works for me I've I've made it work if I was going to do it again um there's a I think there's a company that makes a 23 tooth cog I just couldn't find one in a bike shop in time so I didn't even know they made them. You always see 32, 34. You've never seen a 33. Yeah. But I guess whenever you become a hardcore single speeder, you got to look at every, you're like, see what, what all options are out there. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, kind of a weird chain line predicament with that frame. So I really like it, but it's, uh, it doesn't fit my full range of gears that I'd like. So I have to work around it a bit. I got you. What about you, Katie? How did you feel about your gearing? Uh, I felt like it was just right. 32-22. Yeah, pretty popular gear for the Colorado Trail. That's the one. And Alexandra was on 34 or 32 up front? I think she was 32-22. Oh, good. See, if I ever do a single speed, now I'll know. Yeah, it's a good (laughs) one because it's like a relatively manageable gear for riding single track. If you were only riding single track, you could probably go even lighter, like a 30-22 or something, and ride more stuff. But you've got those wilderness detours that are... There's one that's 70 miles. There's one that's 50 miles. And so you'd be spun out at like under 10 miles an hour if you were on that super easy gear. So you need a little bit of a, a tall enough gear to spin at, you know, at least 10 or 11 miles an hour. That's part of the fun I like of the single speed. Again, not from personal experience, but the idea of it being that, you know, you pick that one gear and that's what you got. It's like everything else. It's like, okay, this is what I'm taking with me. Yeah. And that's all I got. And uh, there's something just so pure about it that um i'm fascinated by personally and i don't know i'm just like blown away that y'all did it and you did it on singles like not only were you the first people to do it but you were the first people to do it also on single speed so it's like a double whammy yeah (laughs) single speed because you'll spend uh you know single speeders spend a lot of time talking about gears (laughs) that is so funny oh my gosh i've never heard that one before all right that's a good way to leave it that's a on a on a funny note yeah unless i missed anything anything else y'all wanted to say man i don't think so it's hard to fit it in i mean yeah that was fast yeah i know it it's a problem i've done my first one with alexandra went almost i think it went three hours and i edited down to like 245 or something but i mean it's just hard to cut it off. You're like, I, I have so many more questions, but you know. All right, guys. Well, uh, I'm going to be following and hopefully I can catch up with y'all sometime in your like van tour of wherever y'all are going. But um, I'm going to try to keep up, uh, follow along and maybe we can cross bike paths uh, one day instead of just drinking a beer on the back patio after a wedding. All right, guys, y'all have a good one. Thanks for coming on and sharing your story. And congrats again. The power couple. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Y'all have a good one. too. Bye. All right, all right, all right. That's all we got today, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, cats and dogs. Congrats again to the Shrimp Keys. Uh, Really cool. Love talking to them. Um, It's just another example of humans doing amazing things. I don't know about y'all, but I have got the hankering to quit my job, buy a van, and go ride my bike like all the time now. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, if only. 
I love to live vicariously through people like them and uh, wish them well on their journeys. And like I said, hopefully maybe our paths will cross in the future. All right, everyone. Well, it was a long interview, so we'll just keep it short and sweet. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for supporting the show if you can. You know, one thing we didn't discuss in the podcast was how to conquer the Colorado Trail Race as a yo-yo. And the answer is actually really simple. Are you ready? All you have to do is ride your damn bike. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You let that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. 